This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Awesome nerds, and welcome to another episode of D&D and TV, the weekly podcast where you rewatch and recap television shows you really enjoy and talk about how the themes, concept, and characters can be used in different role-playing games. I am... Who am I? I've forgotten. No, I am your host, Jeremy, and I am joined for the final time, sadly. Well, the final time for this series. Hopefully, Afif will come back. I am joined by my co-host, Afif. Say hello, Afif. If, uh, hello, ho, ho. Hello, ho, ho. Happy New Year, everyone. Um, Is it the New Year for this one? I don't know. I think so. Well, maybe not the New Year specifically, but it'll be after. I have to check, because we definitely record these in order. Um, If... It is. Yeah, if you do one about Arcane, I'll be on that one for... I, why would you do one about Arcane? I certainly wouldn't have asked you to do that originally and she made you change the last moment to do Cyberpunk Edgerunner instead. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, there's a lot of talk about Arcane. Arcane's a great series as well, just yeah. in its own right. Um, yeah, I do want to do Arcane again. I remember when, just before we started doing Edgerunner, um, I went to some friends' place and I was hanging out just, and they were just watching Arcane in general. And I was just like, oh, I don't remember seeing this episode. And like, this is episode three. I was like, yeah. oh, so I really did not watch much at all. <laughs> but I remember watching those two episodes and being really into it. Yeah. And just not getting much past there. Oh. Someday, right, when I well, really want to, like, gush over Haley Steinfeld's voice acting, yeah. um, I'll watch Arcane. So this is the uh, wistful, Wistfully Talking About Arcane podcast, is that right? Or... I mean, it can be if we want to. It's really more of the wrap-up episode for Cyberpunk Edgerunners, uh, where we just talk about why are we drawn to Cyberpunk? What did we like about it so much? What did we hate about it so much? Um, and, yeah, just some aspects of the ideas that we can really draw on. Because... Uh, we really did kind of talk about all the aspects, no, maybe not all the aspects of cyberpunk, but we really did touch on a lot of things through Edge Runners. Now, actually, here's something that I'll ask you, Aviv. You have played yeah. Cyberpunk Red, I believe. I've played one game. Okay, and have you also played Cyberpunk 2077? I've played a little bit. <laughs> okay, so based on your little bit of knowledge about these two two properties... How would you feel Edge Runners really captured that world or that those mechanics or that idea of being a, being an Edge Runner? Ooh, um, I think pretty well, honestly. I think you get you get different things out of the RPG versus the the video game, because um, like in the game, there's obviously all you have all the visuals and everything. It's a lot. It's more immersive in that sense. Um, but I think it's also really easy to just, your character isn't really much of a character, right? It's just kind of a stand-in generic, you know, it's like in Skyrim or whatever, like any kind of RPG video game. 
Um, oh, okay. So it's not like GTA or Witcher, where it's like you're a certain individual like, in this world. You're you just are like building your own a... dong slider and etc. I mean, like you are, and there are like dialogue options and stuff, but they're I don't think they're as in depth as you'd. It's not like a specific character like Geralt of Rivia and stuff. And I think that's that's a whole other kind of can of worms. When I think that's just the limitation of video games where. Developers mm. want it to be like, oh, you can be your own character and you can choose your own path and stuff. But it's, I've always found that kind of limiting in games. Yeah. Um, like, and it's, and I found it underwhelming compared to playing a kind of like predetermined character in that sense. Yeah. I would agree. Like, I feel that a predetermined character probably would have been more interesting. Yeah. Like, I've always, I found like Geralt more interesting and I found uh, like Commander Shepard more interesting than like, kind of the you know generic faceless whoever you are in fallout i can't even remember or whoever you are in skyrim or yeah like i like that about like i don't know speaking of fallout um have you played the original two fallout games absolutely not okay i'm a child one of the things you are uh just in general not specifically about that one of the things i really like about that is that you were very clearly you had a destiny in those games like you had an option in the first one you had an option of playing three different types of character and you could change the stats or whatever but you would always be the person who went out from the vault to find something and then when you came back you got kicked out and there was a whole big thing and then the second one you were always the descendant of that person that got kicked out of the vault in the first game so it's you still had the ability to do that but your background kind of determined where your story was going to go. Yeah. Um, Whereas I feel a little bit like in, I don't, I can't speak because I haven't actually looked at uh, 2077. It feels a little bit more like you're just going to be building a character and you exist in this world, but you don't really connect to that world as much. There is. Yeah. To bring it back to your original question, which was comparing 2077 and red. Um, I know like in 20, yeah. In 2077, you do have like three, life paths you pick at the start during character creation Mm. um as your background i think one of them was corpo which is what i picked of course yeah um i think one of them was nomads and i can't remember what the third one was um that is a thing that i know the game does have like um that red has as well yes um, but I think as well, and this is the thing about like open world games as well, is that like you start playing and then you just, you start doing all these like little side quests and stuff and you're like, you lose and it just starts coming, it's a game at that point. Right. And it's about like yeah. the stats and you're like, Oh, I'm just, you know, checking off tech, uh, ticking off check boxes and like building up money, but you're not really playing a character and you, you deviate away from like the story. Okay. So you preferred red uh in that sense yeah because in the, in the role-playing sense yeah and then compared to edge runners i think it finds a, a nice medium between the two i suppose like okay so you think that the world represented what you saw in those other games pretty well they do a lot of um they use a lot of like similar ui elements they use like ui elements directly pulled from 2077 uh in the animation in edge runners which i think is really yeah. neat that makes sense to me because, of course, you ex- I'd expect anyone on Netflix is more likely to have 
played the video game than played the RPG, as popular as Cyberpunk Red is. Uh, yeah, all the GM screens are sold out everywhere. All the books uh, are sold out everywhere. Just trying to find a starter kit, or the jumpstart kit, as they call it, has been hard enough. Yeah. Um, but I think... Yeah, what else? Oh, yeah, because I don't have cyberpsychosis in 20, which I think... That's obviously a big thing in uh, Edge Runners. Do you think that's a, a thing that is intended in the world that they fixed, or they just thought it would be too much for the video game? I think, because you have to tie it in with mechanics, and I think they specifically just wanted to avoid that more yeah. than anything else, yeah. Because I do know that it's in red. Like, I think you told me yes. that, in fact, on yep. the podcast. we did talk about that, yeah. And I have heard um, some feedback about Cyberpunk Red saying that a lot of people thought it was better because Cyberpunk in particular is a very nihilistic setting. It's like, yes. you're just... The, like we've said, live fast, die young, leave a beautiful corpse, but you don't actually change much about the world. It's just about your character dying or doing something cool and dying. Whereas Cyberpunk Red seems to be deliberately trying to change that and be like, no, no, your characters can change the world and make an impact on the story. From what I've heard, this seems to be the way they're going. Like you're, you're fighting against the corporations. You're actually building something after like this corp war rather than just, yeah, you exist. Everything sucks. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I just think inherently it's a lot more story driven, much like edge runners is compared to, compared to the video game. But I think that's more of a, just the limitations of different mediums, I guess, more than anything else. Okay. And and twenty seventy seven is obviously trying to appeal to a different market as well, right? And it's there's more money behind that, and they're trying to hit certain sales targets, and it's always going to be different. Would you want to keep playing a so? Would you want to take some of the characters? I know we do this every week, like, but would you want to try to make one of the characters from Edge Runners for a Cyberpunk Red game? Oh yeah, I could I could do that, um, and I think. I, <laughs> Like, you wouldn't be able to do that in 2077, right? Like no. Like, you just, yeah. Um, but for Red, sure, absolutely, yeah. Who would you pick? Like, you can pick Cats, it at any Cats point in the... Of course. Of course. <laughs> Silly me. Okay. School bully, yeah. 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 I, I do actually have a question from a listener. Um, oh. Which came through, and it only came through recently, just after you really shared your love for Katsuo. Uh, what does the name Katsuo mean? This is coming from Katsuo Rocks. On, on uh, Instagram. isn't katsuo like like fried pork or something like that's katsu. like fried cutlet oh. <laughs> uh you know i mean close enough right <laughs> that you know what i'd really love that if that was the the game i think it's more like katsu oh like katsu. getting really excited getting really excited whenever you have like the fried pork cutlets or sure okay that seems not at all right. Uh, I'm doing a live Google so I can find out. I apologize to any of our Japanese listeners if this is Uh Great. That's um, really good to know. Thank you so much, Google. That Katsu Katsuoboshi uh, is actually a, a simmered or fermented skipjack tuna. Um, oh. And it seems to be... Katsu is, in fact, the shortened version of that type of tuna. So Katsuo is a tuna. 
huh. <laughs> I'm wondering if this is... Look, I literally just Googled in that 30 who, seconds. Who names the child that? <laughs> Tanaka does. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's an odd sort of mismatch of cultures in that, which is kind of the point of it all, honestly. Uh, well, how do you feel about that idea of real world cultures being in an RPG like that? Like cyberpunk in particular, it draws heavily from the, I, I don't want to say the yellow peril, uh, cause that's like yeah. very specifically an Australian eight, or a 19th century thing, but that idea of Japan becoming this economic powerhouse and taking over America through economic means. Like cyberpunk is drawing heavily on that. Um, simply because there was that fear or that that seemed like that was the way the world was going in in the 80s when cyberpunk was really starting to take off and i feel uh, that people playing cyberpunk now might have that element of culture appropriation if they're using non-european or non-english speaking um ideals for companies and you may end up with people like hey i'm katsuo tanaka um i'm just saying sorry keep going going with your cats hey i'm katsuo tanaka (laughs) my katsuo tanaka uh i'm wondering do you see it being an issue in a game like this or do you feel that it's distance itself enough by being in the future that it just have become a mismatch a hegemony of of ideas and peoples so it's just like yeah sure but it's going to be like naming Jaden with a, a y and a z so it's just like this no longer represents the culture that we know um i mean you're right in that it's very uh it's very much like a relic of that time i think like blade runner really stands out to me as yeah. the other classic like yeah it's a and shadow but let's not get started on that <laughs> you and your shadow run you're going to play Shadowrun with me and you're going to love it. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, you know, and I think it's the whole thing with cultural appropriation as well is that it's it's a fine line and it's Ooh. hard to really clearly distinguish that because um, it really just depends on where, where it's coming from and, like, who it's coming from and their intent behind it. Um, and, I mean, these days it's like, it's kind of evolved into a different thing. Like, because mm. modern day you have, you know, like Weeboos and like career booze and things like that. And it's like, there's a different kind of appreciation for those sort of Eastern cultures. Mm. Um, so it's still there, but like in a different kind of flavoring, I guess. Um, it's, no it's, longer, definitely... it's no longer where your entire ideas of um, Japanese culture comes from Sailor Moon reruns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and there is hundred percent a lot of like cultural appropriation that goes on with especially japanese stuff just because of the Mm. prominence of anime and and all the stuff surrounding that um but i don't think it really feeds into that any more so than it like other mediums do you know like it's i don't i wouldn't consider it problematic like okay so you feel it'd be easy enough to just have some japanese characters existing in night city which i believe is located in like california yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, without it being too much of a, this is going to step outside of being, it's going to not be as problematic. Yeah, okay, cool. I'm glad we got your opinion on that. Um, well, the internet will be very pleased. Yeah, well, and there's like, there's also other, I know like, what was that series? 
Man of the High Castle, where it was yeah. like alternate World War II history. Mm. Uh, if America had lost, and you know, it, there's like Japanese, there's a whole like Japanese sort of influence in that sense, them taking over and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 I feel having it as an alternate reality does help it a little bit because you can just a little bit, same reason why people hand wave in fantasy. It's like, well, it's fantasy. They have different mores, different cultures anyway. It's like, as long as you don't yeah. draw the parallel too closely and talk to everyone beforehand because session zeros are important and uh, vows and lines are important and always use your safety tools in your games. Um, where was I going with that? Yes, talk to your players and try yeah. not to offend them. It's always, listen, it's always going to be a fine line, right? And yeah. I'm not going to pretend to be like the expert on that or, you know. I can't remember why I brought this up. I think it was just because I remembered that Katsu was a, a thing, uh, not a skipper jack tuna. Yeah, I mean, the big bads are Arasaka, this Japanese kind of named corporation. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting one. Because just to bring it back to um, to Shadowrun for a second, the big bads in that is often Renraku, uh, which is also a Japanese corporation. There's like other ones, which are, I think it's Mishima is another one. But the big bads are often the Japanese ones, which, again, tells you so much about the people writing these originally. <laughs> Yeah, it does. Um, I'm just looking at some other words. Are you still trying to find the actual meaning of katsu? No. I'm looking katsu. at what it's... The names of some other corpos. Um, a lot of them I... seem to have their origins in... They, mm. they seem Japanese. Just look at Wiki. Um, well, the idea for... I believe this is just um, me spinning some shit. But I believe the idea for a cyberpunk often stems from the Japanese zaibatsu where it was basically monopoly. It was just one company that had a monopoly on different industries. And if you work for them, yes, it was someone that made all the playing cards, but they were also the same person that made all of another product as well. So they just had the entire industry. And that was the idea that if you work for this company, you're set for all those other things. Yeah. Um, and that's, it really Yamaha. was your life. Yeah. Like, well, Yamaha is a great it's example. Like- like, you want a keyboard to go with your motorcycle? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm uh, going from my very sketchy modern history um, lessons 20 years ago, but when we were looking at the, the Japanese rise again following World War II, but yeah. it really was that kind of thing that your company takes care of you for life because yes. they, they yeah. make everything you could ever need. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of... I know they're called like eddies, like, but I'd say there's not. Why are they called eddies? Is that explained? You didn't tell me about it this sends... when we were doing the the slang the other week. Oh, it's it's short for euro dollar. Oh, so it's all in euro dollars. That's like the the primary currency is called euro dollars. Huh. So eddies, yeah, eddies is short for. Them. I like that actually. Um, but there's not a lot of European influence overall in a lot of cyberpunk. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Well, I don't think that's true, actually. I think in the game called Cyberpunk, the one that was brave enough to actually say, yes, we are Cyberpunk and we define the genre, it's not so much. But I feel that a game like Infinity Corvus Belly, which is um, originally based on... Basically, it's an RPG that 
was built off one particular group's RPG stories, but it is cyberpunk and it's very Eurocentric, basically because they created it in France. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And there's now a like a skirmish game for it and they're talking about doing it's it's very good. It's another one that uses life paths. I feel like yeah, if it was like a more modern it'd be so much like China and Russia influenced, I think. Yeah, I feel it depends when you start making it. Like in the eighties obviously America was on the rise, Japan was on the rise as well. I think if you made a game from scratch yeah. now, you'd be looking at China, Russia, you might be looking at the European Union. Um, America would obviously have had some sort of nuclear war and just be gone. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, some sort of civil war, actually, they'd have. They never seem to predict a civil war in all of these um, these early, early cyberpunk things. Uh, I'm obviously predicting it, and people listening to this in 20 years after the third American <laughs> civil war will be laughing their heads off, being like, yeah, they predicted it I mean, all the time. listen, more civil wars mean more hamiltons right like more material for lin-manuel branded to write I musicals about don't think that's what hamilton's yep. about i think i think it definitely is i, I hear he's writing a new one right now about elon Musk. it's gonna be great i'm pretty certain that hamilton is about like the town in victoria like it's about the founding <laughs> of that town i think oh, you're mistaken totally about it being about the civil yeah Jeez. i think you're mistaken about that one just, I don't want you to look silly on the internet, so I thought I'd better correct you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see the letters on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tried to keep a straight face as long as I could. Um, I did have a question. Actually, I want to go back to the life paths. Because this, oh, yeah, sure, sure. this podcast is called D&D and TV. Uh, and while we're talking about cyberpunk, um, D&D is one of those games that has not had life paths. It's like very much reliant on the players to be the ones coming up with the backstories. And you can have backgrounds and things like that in 5th edition. I'm wondering, do you feel that D&D would be useful to have a life path system? I think so, yeah. yeah? I think the backgrounds are probably the, one of the least fleshed out parts of character creation. Um, they're very much just added on with like very little... Because you want the the backstory to tie into the mechanics, essentially. And there's just yeah. very little of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for for it, listeners... Well, for listeners who don't know what a life path is, the backgrounds in 5th edition basically give you a couple of extra bonuses and different skills and some more equipment, essentially. But in a life path system, like, you either get points or you roll for it, or you can just get to choose, but it gives you, this is what you did for school. This is how many friends you made. This is what your family is like. This is, you know, the things that happened to you in the decades before you started your adventures. Uh, and it's really in-depth, but it also gives you, like, it like individualizes your character. Like, it's like, hey, you lost a leg in a war. This is what's happened to your movement because of that. Yeah. Um, which, th- there's a little bit of that. I think one of the best books they ever made for 5th edition was Xanathar's. Yeah. For that reason, they had all, yeah whole bunch of random tables um to help generate backgrounds and backstories um but i think it is the the connection with like actual game mechanics i think that really yeah what's really required and really makes it an individual because i don't know if it does this for for cyberpunk red i know um infinity 
you actually get a certain number of points uh, at the start, like life points. When you're creating yep. a character, you get three life points and you can spend a life point to go, no, this definitely happened to me. Otherwise, you're just rolling randomly. And I like that because it's like, I want my character to go in this direction so I can spend some points to, to make it happen. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, I think there was a different RPG I was looking at once that... Um, you like essentially everyone had some that they were tied to um so like the background would be there and stuff but it also set the framework for like progression essentially um, okay so yeah it's like you when you do stuff it's like driven by kind of the ranking system within your faction and hmm. that that again ties to your backstory so like in maybe dnd it's like if you had the background soldier like you would be ranked trying to essentially looking for ways to like rank up military you know yeah yeah you'd be looking at how do i fill out those forms and apply for a promotion um yeah and you do like specific there's a lot more again mechanics and doing specific sort of tasks for your organization to help progress because uh, so that's also it, something they've never fleshed out in dnd they have those they have what are they they have like they have renown yeah but it's it's pretty pretty light on yeah, those are a little bit more of you get these extra things and you have someone to talk to and you always have a place to stay, which is pretty much every feat ever. Yeah. Um, I and do I know like the factions this... just as a storytelling device more so yeah. than anything else. Um, and I think there was also certain equipment stuff that was blocked behind like the tiers of the faction, basically. Added incentive. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good sort of thing as well. It's like you'd have better access to certain materials if you're in this faction. Yeah. Now, I mentioned storytelling just before. I want to bring it back to Cyberpunk for a second. As someone who has had a look at the, the RPG, do you feel Cyberpunk has stories that you'd want to tell? Oh. I mean, I've taken a pretty brief look at it i'd say well based on edge runners like this i feel edge runners is a pretty good indication of kind of the stories that cyberpunk is trying to tell that it's small people caught between corporations or caught between you know these powers beyond their control and that's not really what you see in like an rpg like dnd because that's your people but then you rise up and you become the the god slayers and the dragon masters and the Ooze Eaters. So does Cyberpunk seem like something that you would have stories for? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think the punk punk nature of it is appealing to me personally. uh, Mm. um, I think we talked about that a lot kind of at the start in the... about like what it meant to be punk. Yeah. And I, I, I do like the kind of grounded aspect of it. Um... And just, again, that little kind of nihilistic element of, like, as much as the the really kind of grand overarching stories are, like, as much as I love those, like, a tabletop RPG is not necessarily the best platform for that, I think. Um, and I think when you have a story where, like, death is a lot more real and, like, anyone could just die at any point. Yeah. And it's all just like, yeah, we're just living in the moment. Uh, I think that just facilitates it a lot better or just pairs more nicely with it yeah i think you've got to make a good point with that that 
it's as it's very difficult to die forever in D and D. And cyberpunk, yes. you do well. I don't think we really talked about it enough last episode. That if you're losing a character, it can feel like, well, that's it for the game. Like I'm, I'm done with this little adventure. I'm done with that story. But cyberpunk, it feels like, particularly that we saw with the characters, like Pilar drops out, Main drops out, Falco kind of steps in. That there's this almost um, cyclical nature of it. That you can kind of everything keeps going without you. That your first character dies and the adventures keep going and they hire someone else and they're able to do something different, but they can kind of do those skills or you still have a group of players doing stuff. Even if the original characters are now dead. Yeah. And I think, I, I don't know where I was going with that. It just, it just kind of occurred to me. I think Cyberpunk kind of is going for that feel of it. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes you want a game that, like, you don't want to be, I don't want to say too invested, but, like, you don't want to feel like if you've missed a session, the important story point. You want just kind of a week-in, week-out, like, I just want to be there. I just want to play for the session and then just kind of pick it up. You know, not this big overarching thing you have to keep track of. Yeah. I like the idea of Cyberpunk where you're just getting jobs, that you're just getting a, a gig and it's like, hey, you got to take out this... um this corp or you've got to surveil someone and you don't know what it's for. You're just doing it for the money. Yeah. Like a, almost like a monster of the week. Just like, yeah, yeah. Almost like a game called I hunt where it's on a, an app and you have to go and just do these things. For the oh, money. I, I will, I will bring it into any conversation I can. I, I'm a little bit worried. I know you, everyone I'm talking to about it is a bit worried for me. I'm a bit worried for me. That I'm this obsessed about this game, but it's yeah. so much fun. It looks so good. It's everything I've wanted out of urban fantasy for a long time. Um, I do love though. Well, speaking of iHunt, it's just I guess the name of it. Like, it is always interesting to me to see how different eras in the past predict the future. Oh yeah. How they yeah how they visualize that, and obviously cyberpunk was like pre you know pre apple's big kind of movement and revolution Mm. so there's none of that like streamlined tech that we'd see that we see in a lot of like futuristic stuff now right everything's all like light screens and like hologram like that you touch in the air like touch screen type stuff it's not really cyber what i've been particularly impressed about with cyberpunk is that their um adherence to their law that they have said, okay, we have said that this is where our world diverged from the real world. And they've stuck with that. That is the history. And they haven't, like, the update for Cyberpunk Red hasn't gone back and changed it, saying, like, everyone uses wireless now or, you know, Apple was also there or anything like that. It's just, this is the exact same story as before. It's just at a slightly different time. Whereas you see something like Shadowrun, this is going, I know I talk about Shadowrun a lot, but when I first started looking at it, it was the same as Cyberpunk. Like you had a big keyboard that you slotted into your head and then you had to put it and you went on the net and things like that. And then as Wi-Fi became more like prevalent in our world, their update, suddenly everyone's got Wi-Fi instead. Yeah, that's interesting. So they the, the Cyberpunk has stuck to this is what the tech is. 
and it works for our mechanics, so we're not changing it just so it's more recognizable for you. I really respect that. Yeah, and I like that aspect as well of, like, that's the thing about older, slightly more analog tech, mm. is that it's it's a bit easier to get your head around uh, in terms of how it works. You know, you look at, you know, you open up a computer, you look at a motherboard and all the circuits and stuff, and you're like, this mean? Crazy. But then you have, Zing. that's the thing with all the cyberware, right? It's like, oh, it's like a mechanical arm, like, it does that, like, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's an arm, but it opens up and there's a gun inside. It's like, I can, I don't know the exact mechanics of how it works, but I understand that it's a, an arm with a gun in it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and that will make it a lot easier for creating adventures and creating cyberware for the game master. Like, it's easy to go, okay, I have a character who wants to be able to unscrew the top of their finger and they now have a pen in that. That's something yeah. I can imagine and I can easily do in the mechanics. To have, hey, I want like a Bluetooth chip in my thumb so I can, I don't know how any of, again, I don't know how any of this stuff works. Of the, you missed, the you missed opportunity matrix. to just like have a literal Bluetooth. Like. Yeah. I have a literal Bluetooth that's actually a router that's also a USB that's also like an EMP pulse. It's like, I, sure, like, I what? guess. Yeah. That's, that's a like, thing that you can do probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Opening it, up it, a finger into a pen, though, for some reason just made me think of the original Cyberpunk Inspector Gadget. Fuck yes. <laughs> okay. We definitely so after went Arcane, Cyber After Arcane, you're coming back on and we're talking about Inspector Gadget. I never watched... That was a bit before my time. I do remember the oh, live-action wow. movie. Okay, we'll talk about the live-action... Well, we'll talk about the live-action, then we'll talk about the sequel of French Stewart. Who's in... Who's the, in the live-action movie? Matthew Broderick did the first one. Oh, it's Broderick. That's right. Yeah. And, oh, there was the um, second one. Uh, Rupert Everett, I want to say, I think was Dr. Claw in the first one. Bet this is going to have CGI that... <laughs> I mean, Inspector Gadgets is hella cyberpunk. Yeah, <laughs> the more I think about it, yeah. That's so concerning. I mean, it's even got super intelligent apps. I did notice a complete lack of animals. In Cyberpunk Runners. Yes. Um, I think that's intentional. can't remember seeing any animals in 20... 20- I think there were in red. Hmm. Obviously, think... okay. obviously the animals die off in some time between... I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast or somewhere else, but like the idea of cyber animals... Yeah, I think we were talking about it on the podcast because we were talking about Blade Runner and how one of the the key elements of the novel is that he's trying to afford enough for a real sheep. Oh, yeah. yeah. Rather than the, the fake sheep that the neighbours have. Again, just He does very, eventually get a real frog, if I remember correctly. That's a, just a classic uh, dystopic, you know, dystopian future thing. It's just... The lack of animals, animals, yeah. Real just like animals. real organic matter. Yeah. Tree, yeah. Yeah, particularly because it suggests that the fake animals aren't there for the things that the fake animals or real animals were doing. It's just there as a status symbol. It's just like, I have a a fake dog because I need companionship. And it's like, well, I'm not going to spend money on a real dog because that could die. And it's like, you've got to have a lot of money to to spend on real life. Sure. Anyway. I I would love a robot dog. You know what I'd love? One of those, a bunch of those um, creatures from Horizon Zero Dawn, like the robots in that. That'd be cool. 
The dinosaurs? Yeah, the dinosaurs, like robot dinosaurs. Just, like kill you? <laughs> no, they're friendly, some of them. Have you played Horizon Zero Dawn? I have. I love Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, interesting. Interesting game, yeah. I haven't played the the second one yet, unfortunately, but I will. Uh, I feel we're starting to move off topic as um as we talked a lot about Cyberpunk. And there is a I believe they're looking at a Horizon Zero Dawn role-playing game. Um, but that would be cool. Yeah. But uh, I think that's pretty much it where we can we can um, wrap it up. And as we do, I want to say thank you so much to everyone who stuck with us for these last uh, 10 weeks, listening to us talk about Cyberpunk and why we think David's a tool and um, why Katsu is clearly the, the real hero of of this show you never explain that you just like him okay cool because uh, he does the cool the cool the fist cool punching fighting. it's like the uh, what's his name like reggie from nintendo or whatever there's yeah, that yeah. meme where you're doing that the hand fight i mean we know if we're gonna we know what your new character is gonna be it's gonna be a monk called katsuo whose father he is loves, like some sort of yeah he loves pork yeah. cutlet Loves pork, he loves pork cutlets like and fish, tuna. Yeah. He smells like fish. He goes to school with some dick called David. <laughs> he sends horrible messages after the kid's mother dies. I mean, okay, you know what? We're not going to get into it again. That's his um, life path, yeah. As I was saying, thank you so much for listening us to go through this. But also, thank you, Afif. Uh, it's been really great oh, doing this with you for the last 10 weeks. Uh, it's just been fun to have somebody else to, to talk D&D who's um, played the game that I haven't. And to be able to ask questions about. Yeah, I, I read a couple of pages of Cyberpunk Red, and I played a couple of minutes of 2077. I have looked at the Jumpstart kit, which I really enjoyed. The adventures in that, like the starter adventure in that looked really cool. Yeah. Um, it was one of those really cool ones that you can easily adapt to anything, which I like because it does suggest that I could just adapt any adventures I already have to Cyberpunk with just a few tweaks. Yeah, I think that's always a really comforting thing, I think, for a, for a game master, especially going a new system and potentially a very different something kind of reliable you can back on. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much all I wanted to say. Just thank you to everyone. Um, we are going to take... Well, I already said that this... Did I say this episode was brought to us by Masters of Alchemy, the premier game mastering service in Melbourne? I don't think I did, uh, but I did now. So if you'd like to get in touch with them... Um, feel free to go over to mastersofalchemy.com uh, all one word mastersofalchemy.com and then you know check it out get to see you know our cool faces on on the website and the different games we run and you know book us to play cyberpunk because yay uh, and also if you wanted to get in touch and ask more questions um, suggest shows for future say if you want to make your voice heard whether you want to do uh, want us to talk about inspector gadget or arcane that would be that'd be really cool um, send the email to dndntvpod at gmail.com um, or instagram at dndntvpod but i get to now reveal because we're going to take a week off um, a thief won't be back for the next series might be back for the one after, depending if I can convince him or not. Can I convince you, Afif? Oh, it depends on the series. If we're doing the live-action Inspector Gadget movie. We might be, yeah. Well, next series, um, as I said, take a week off, and the next series we're going to be coming back with Netflix's Wednesday. Ooh. Uh, which is going to be super fun and super gothic. Uh, and lots of talk about Tim Burton and... and um, funness. Uh, and that will be with Elise. 
uh, who did Motherland, uh, Fort Salem, with me uh, for the second series. So that's going to be really fun. It's going to be great to talk to with her again. Uh, but uh, I've already said thank you to her feet, but I'm going to say thank you again. Thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, thank you all for listening. I'm just gushing over everyone right now. So be kind to yourselves. Um, stay safe out there. Adam, smash that like button. Wesley, crush it. And until next time, may all your hits be crits.